father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, how are you? Good morning. This is uh, Coach Kevin Furtado from the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, episode 136. Today, we have Coach Mike Hedrick. Coach Hedrick is the head girls basketball coach at Patrick Henry High School in Virginia. Mike was the 2020 Virginia High School League 5A State Coach of the Year just very recently. 64-20 and 20 record, 76% winning percentage, 2020 VHSL 5A Final Four, 2020 VHSL 5A Region Championship, 2018 and 19 VHSL Elite Eight Appearance, first ever at Patrick Henry, 2019-2020 Regular Season and District Tournament Champions, 33-4 and four record at home, 2018-2020 District Coach of the Year, 5A Region Coach of the Year, and Timesland Coach of the Year. And Mike inherited a program that won 11 games in its previous four years and successfully changed his program to one of the most well-known in Southwest Virginia. In addition, he at University of Charleston, West Virginia, he was assistant coach and recruiting coordinator from 2015-2016. He served as recruiting coordinator while also overseeing player development, coordination of all travel and recruiting visits, summer camp marketing, and serving as an academic advisor. We're so excited to have Mike on the podcast. I always enjoy... Um, you know, just talking to coaches, um, he's been coaching a while. He actually coached a little bit in the college ranks, and also you can see he's having great success at Patrick Henry's building a program. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's like, what are you doing um, to build this program at Patrick Henry? He's had some great success, and he's done a lot of great things. Matter of fact, I just heard him on a recent uh, podcast and so forth uh, with a lot of great coaches from Virginia. He did an excellent job, so I think you're really going to enjoy Picking the brain of Coach Mike Hedrick. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Mike. Kevin, how you doing today? What's going on, my friend? Man, I'm just living the dream in this quarantine life right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. Hey, there's some positives and negatives about this, man. It's not. It's not all negative, but um, I think we're learning from it. But uh, hey, I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed your. Um, you did a nice little uh, Zoom meeting the other day. Uh, one guy was, of course, a good friend of mine, Gene Durd. Man, you did a great job on that. I, I appreciate you. And yeah, isn't Gene just, uh, you know, a, a legend amongst us? You know, how much can coaches learn from people like that, you know? Um, so it was but, – but the crazy <laughs> thing in that group, there was 26 state championships. So Wow, yeah. Just a lot of knowledge. But, yeah, it, it was great to um, get all those people together. And uh, it was a lot of fun to do. And we're, we're going to do it in the future. Yeah, no doubt. Keep that up, man. I just, I just love I, the one thing you see more and more coaches talking to each other now. I know. I, I mean, it's unbelievable, man. There are so many Zoom meetings. I should invest in Zoom. 
Uh, it's funny you say that. I, uh, <laughs> when, I, when I get this stimulus check, I'm going to put half of it in Zoom and half of it in like Netflix or Hulu. Oh, no kidding, man. And you're right, though. Investing is going to be really interesting coming up. Hopefully, we'll still have a stock market, but um, it's going to be really interesting coming up. Or, so what do you think, Mike? I, I, I just think it's going gonna, it's gonna to change our normal, but it might be for the better. I don't know. You know, I've talked to a few friends of mine coaching and not, and, you know, this is a horrible thing, and, you know, we don't want this to happen, and (laughs) it's horrible all the way around. But I do think that we will get through this, and when we do get through it, uh, from a sports perspective, from a, you know, country perspective, we're going to do things better. And just from our little bubble of sports, you know, so many of our athletes never take a break. Finally, in a way, they're forced to. And I think in a short term, that's going to be a really positive for them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I really want to pick your brain. I've really studied what you've been doing, man. You had a lot of success early on in your career and everything and building your program at Patrick Kennedy. But tell us a little bit about you and where you grew up as a kid and and a little bit about yourself on how you kind of transform all that, what you did as a youth into what you're doing right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's a real interesting story and, and we don't have the time to go into all of it, but <laughs> you know, I've been very lucky. I, uh, I knew early on, I wanted to coach. I got, uh, involved with the local AAU program that I actually at one time played in. And I did that for a year coaching eighth grade boys. The second year I was supposed to coach my second eighth grade boys team. Well, turns out they already had a coach for that but somehow they forgot about that coach and we both showed up for tryouts to coach the the team. That coach just happened to be a legendary girls basketball coach in North Carolina named Barbara Helms. And Mm -hmm. she's, she was kind enough to say, Hey, like, you know, this situation, why don't you work with me this AAU season? Her son was on the team and, and we did that. And and we grew a, a bond and a friendship. And she goes, well, why don't you join my staff at Hickory? And I was lucky enough to be her assistant for four years at Hickory when we went 112-9 and played in three out of the four uh, state championship games uh, those years. And then the best thing that ever happened to her was I left to go coach in college, and the year I left, they went undefeated and won the state title. So the problem was me all along uh, <laughs> is what I learned from right. that. Um, but, but, you know, she was my mentor. She got me into <laughs> – uh, you know, I've been playing, you know, I, I had some coaching experience at AAU, but she's the one that really taught me how do you coach? What separates the top 1% of coaches from everybody else? And I learned that from her. And, and if it wasn't for her and what I did at uh, uh, Hickory as an assistant, and, and I'll give her credit, she was an incredibly talented and smart woman and a coach. And she was willing to let this young guy get his feet wet and do things and actually coach and not just keep a stat sheet and, and listen to my suggestions and, and, and do a lot of stuff that most coaches wouldn't. And that led me to working for another great mentor. I got the assistant job at Francis Marion university in South Carolina, which is a division two school and worked for a, a, a great mentor of mine, Jay Sparks, who started a program at Columbus state in Georgia, uh, was athletic right. director sure. at Columbus state and, uh, I got my second mentor as somebody who allowed me to have a great hand in recruiting. And literally that whole year at Francis Marion, 
him and I would have like one, two hour conversations, three, four hour conversations in the office about basketball life and literally just pick his brain on uh, his career. And, you know, having those two early on was just phenomenal. And then that led me to Adam Collins at University of Charleston, another Division II school in West Virginia. And him and I are still great friends to this day and still talk every single week. And he was the first one that uh, really taught me the business of college and the business of recruiting. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to those three people um, early on giving me opportunities and letting me coach and letting me do things. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been ready to take over my own program. And I'm going to tell you what, it doesn't matter what level, once you go from an assistant to a head coach, the world changes. And <laughs> I don't care what you think, yeah. you are not ready to be the decision maker after making the suggestions. You have to learn it, and it's a whole different experience. But I was fortunate to have some really great mentors and some really great experiences uh, that's prepared me. And then, you know, long story short, I've ended up here at Patrick Henry and trying to use that to the best of my ability. Yeah, it's funny how mentors, we don't realize it, uh, mentors have a big impact on on us, don't they? I mean, over the years, I think, do you think we as coaches do enough? For example, uh, I always try to hang out and talk to guys like Gene Durden. Do, we, do you think there's enough coaches out there that are really going out of their way and trying to meet these prominent coaches and learn from them? Well, you know, I think there's two parts of that. One – I don't think enough people are because I think people feel like most people won't share. What I've learned is the best in coaching. They are the ones that want to share the absolute most because they are not afraid to. They have already learned the secret that I can tell you everything I do and it doesn't give you any competitive advantage over me. That's not what it's about. Uh, so right. the best in the, the best in this business are not afraid to give you everything they do. And, and that's one thing that I've learned uh, with that. But the other thing is, you know, too many people think a, a mentor has to be a prominent figure. Uh, it really doesn't, you know, whatever you're in, we just happen to be in coaching and, and, and basketball, have relationships and conversations with people that are passionate about it. And you'll be amazed at what you can learn uh, from, you know, I've learned just as much from high school coaches as I have college coaches, as I have AAU coaches, as I have rec coaches it's all yeah, about if, sure. they're, if they're passionate about it and you know one of the greatest things i have on my staff is i have alan fiddler who his daughter plays for me uh and he's been on my staff since i came to patrick henry he's the head football coach at the high school and he's my assistant now how many head nice. football coaches are the girls basketball assistant and not too many <laughs> and and he's won seven state titles he's in the west virginia hall of fame he's coached division two as a head coach he's been an assistant at Marshall. He, you know, I've learned as much from my assistant as I have anybody in my journey. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a people's game, isn't it? I mean, I think, don't you think, I think the ultimate separator, because Mike, I can run your system, right. And, mm -hmm. and whatever, but it's man. So how do you get the most out of your kids? Correct. Yeah, no, it, it's, you know, Jim Behan two, three zone. Uh, you know, you look at a, a Michigan State, man, man, you know, whatever you want to say, there's 50,000 ways to skin a cat and win a basketball game. So it must not be a secret offense or defense. It must be something <laughs> those people do, right? It must be something about them that makes their 
you know, energy or their passion contagious and deliver it onto their players. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I do feel, Mike, that the top the top coaches are really good teachers as well. Now they might have great players mm-hmm. as well. We all know that's a factor. But man, you gotta be able to teach the game. I think I think I think your top coaches teach the game just a little bit better, don't you think? Yeah, and you know, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, they have all this talent, so of course they're going to win. People don't realize how hard it is to coach talent. And I don't mean that in in a sense of, yeah, like they're talented, but with talent also comes egos and also comes a whole other set of problems that maybe people that don't necessarily have the best talent have to deal with. Uh, Expectations are a very, very hard thing to overcome. And the better you are, the more the expectations are. And that, you know, we're in a world that's so cognizant of mental health. Expectations can wear on you. And that's really, Mm -hmm. really hard to keep a good team focused. Yeah. And before we go into, I I love your mantra of of be better. I love that. I really, I really enjoyed kind of studying how you're utilizing that in your program. You seem such a a good program builder. Um, Talk about the other night. What did you, first of all, I would love to get a copy of your um, program that you illustrated during this time. I have, I have a program that I put together, but I really like how you did, you had the girls collect points during your um, quarantine time or COVID-19. Everybody's calling it something Mm. different, but I really Mm. like that. Talk a little bit about your program during this time, but also talk about what you learned from some of these other coaches. Well, you know, that, that Zoom meeting you're referring to was, was yeah. fantastic because we're doing all this stuff and college coaches are sharing, but I haven't seen enough just high school coaches sharing. And, and as you know, we all have a different set of problems uh, than professional college or anything like that. And, you know, we had 20 people in that group and every single one of them from five different states in the South, they immediately said, absolutely, I want to do this, like no hesitation. So it shows you how they, uh, what kind of people they are. But for us as a program, um, you got to understand, we just had a season where we were very fortunate that it lasted five months. You know, we were really practicing hard in the fall. Uh, we got officially started in November. Um, we made it all the way to the final four of the 5A states, and, and Virginia just had a great year. So when all this and, – and our last game happened two days before all of this happened in the country mm, with the quarantines yeah. and stay at home is like uh, we lost in the Final Four to a good friend of mine at Holland Springs and Franklin Harris on a Tuesday. And then Thursday is when I think the NBA shut down and then just the trickle-down effect from that. Uh, I've kind of stayed away from the girls because they needed a break from me and our staff. Right. Uh, they just needed a break to be uh, – for maybe for some of the first time in years – just to be a high school teenager, uh, although they're doing it at home, uh, not like sure. they want to. But, yeah. uh, you know, my staff got together prior to that Zoom meeting um, and kind of laid out this plan. Well, it's important for us. I think during this time, some programs can take a huge step forward because others may not be working or others may not have the culture in place that the kids will buy into whatever they do. I think our culture uh, is going to allow our girls to buy into anything we do during this time. You know, I just think we've, we've created that type of respect and love for one another uh, to do that. So we wanted a system where the kids can get better, and we picked five areas. We said we, we got to focus on academics because that's still important. 
We need to focus on ball handling, specifically their weak hand. We need to focus on shooting. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, we need to focus on getting in shape. So, and we need to focus on film study. That was the last one. So we yeah. took those five areas and we said, all right, well, let's provide resources for them to get better at all these. How can we test them? How can we provide evidence? And well, how can we incentivize them? Well, we made it into a competition where, for example, just the getting in shape. If you video yourself doing 15 perfect push-ups and you send me the video, that's going to get you a point. And we have this whole system in place in all five of those categories. Film study. Go back, find the clip of you making a mistake in our defensive rotations at some point in the season. Video it and then give a written description of the mistake and what you need to do to fix it and what should have been done. You do that, that becomes a point. So we created a whole system based off of those five things. It ended up being a 200-point system. So then what we said was, okay, well, if you get 25 points, we're going to reward you with, uh, hey, we'll highlight you on social media, and next season we're going to get you a uh, get-out-of-conditioning-free pass card. Sure. And then some of them are, hey, if you get to 75 points, Coach Hedrick will do any talk, uh, TikTok video you want that's appropriate. You have to oh, put man. in the word. Yeah, no doubt. You got to do that. Yeah, you have to put in the word appropriate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For sure. Uh, but, you know, we just found different things. You know, one of them is, hey, I'll door dash you Chick-fil-A if you get to this level. You know, so we try to give different incentives. Uh, so even during this time, luckily for us, our kids have competitive nature. So we're just trying to buy into that. So my staff got together, kind of created this. We had the Zoom meeting. And the best thing that I think I came away with from all of that knowledge was you need to create original material. You know, right now it's so easy to copycat off of other apps and things like that. And that's fantastic. And that is, in a sense, better than nothing. Uh, but your players want you to instruct them. Our coaching staff has to make videos of us showing them things we want them to do. We can't just send them an app and say, do what's on the app, because that's not personable enough. So, and, and that's something I really learned from it, uh, that Zoom call. And the second thing was, is there a way that you can get like a big brother, uh, little brother, little sister, uh, big sister program going where your kids are supporting each other and getting that point system? So it, it was a really great Zoom call. If anybody ever wants it, it's on my social media. I'll be more than happy to give it out to you. And if anybody ever wants the Google Classroom stuff, um, I, I, I give anybody anything they want. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to. Uh, I I saw the video, man. It's great, um, yeah. and I love because you know I'm a you know I've been doing the podcast for a while and so forth. And I just I love how you got a lot of coaches involved. Um, I do love like the one on one interviews, but I love the different perspectives from different coaches and so forth. And we all know, Mike, the high school coaches. As I spoke to a lot of coaches, they got there's a lot of good ones out there that we know nothing about. There's a mm -hmm. lot of bright minds on in the high school arena, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, Joe Lombard, you know, just retired uh, in Texas. And I know he's been somebody that's been on your podcast before. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, what a legendary figure. If you don't know who he is, you need to really research or go back on this podcast and, and, and listen to him speak. But, you know, how many coaches did not even know of Joe Lombard until all that information of him retiring came out? And, you know, we all get caught in our bubbles in our own little worlds. 
Uh, and, you know, my goal is uh, I've been blessed in this business to when I was in college, high school, whatever. Relationships have made me. Relationships have made me into the coach I am. Uh, you know, it's helped my program so much. It's, I don't want to just be blessed. I want to be a blessing unto others. I once, I once heard Nick Saban say that. I want to be able to give back to the basketball community. And I'm fortunate to have some friends I've met along the way. And uh, my hope long term is we can keep on doing things like those Zoom videos, get more and more people involved and create a quote unquote like a high school coaches club or association where we just honest to God share from across state lines. Yeah, I love that. I think that's uh, that's a sign of the future, man. I appreciate you uh, getting that getting that started, man. Just, uh, I like coaches that like yourself. I consider you more of an innovator. You're always looking to go to think outside the box. And I feel like I do the same. So I definitely, I'm definitely connecting with what you're trying to do. Um, Talk about your mantra, be better. Ours is row the boat. We just, we just, we love that term. Uh, Mm. We use it in everything. PJ Fleck, baby. Yeah, that's right. Uh, PJ's (laughs) my guy, man. You know what? You know, of course we have, you know, we have a logo and everything. We know we can build it up. But kids really believe in it, but they did not believe in it early. They thought, what is this, you know, and so forth, until they they saw the values of it and every every practice and saw the things that uh, they were showing. But uh, talk about your your be be better mantra, because it sounds like it's really important to you guys. Yeah, it, it truly is. You know, some programs will hang their hat on something to do on offense, something to do defense, some type of philosophy our program hangs our hat on our be better culture and literally our offense and defensive schemes will change year to year to fit our personnel and it doesn't matter we've been very fortunate to have success and I think the one thing I can attribute to uh, is our be better mindset and and to understand where that came from when I first got the job here at PH uh, the program had won 11 games in four years uh, you know, I was just hoping to get kids in the summer to, to come work out with me, you know, <laughs> let alone win a game, let right. alone make it to playoffs. Uh, well, I had moved to Roanoke. You know, I didn't really know anybody. My uh, pool, I mean, my apartment had a pool in it. So what I did that summer is, you know, I would do workouts with our team, but then I had nothing else to do and I knew nobody. So I would go and hang out at the pool, uh, get a nice tan and just, you know, I had such, you know, so much time to just reflect and analyze and think about the future for our program. And during that time, and I can go ahead and tell you the date was on July 7th uh, back in 2017 is the date that I, it kind of came to me to be better concept. Uh, and I have it cause it's in my notebook written down exactly when I figured it out. Um, and the reason why it's be, be better is if I told an eight year old right now, Hey, you need to be better at this. That eight-year-old will kind of understand they're supposed to improve mm-hmm. to some extent. So it's so simple. Everybody gets it immediately. And it's also something that we can use to market. It's very easy to say. Every time we break a huddle, it's one, two, three, be better. Um, every time we're in, in a uh, pregame huddle or a practice huddle, that first year, I probably said be better four million times. <laughs> I, I swear, like, it's just there's so many ways to incorporate that into a sentence or into a, a monologue uh, or a pregame, postgame conversation 
that's just drilled in, drilled in, drilled in. So we gave that verbal, um, you know, reinforcement. Then when we did all of our gear, because I, I'm one of those people that believes your program has to look good, to feel good, and to play good, um, we got our kids gear, and all the gear would say PH, hashtag be better. Right. And all of our stuff says it doesn't say PH Patriots. It says PH be better. Um, and it's just another way to reinforce and market. When we do all of our social media posts, whether it be kids signing or winning a game or losing a game or whatever, hashtag be better is attached to it. So we found a way to find something that the kids all understood, find a way to reinforce it daily, and then we found a way to market it. And the combination of those three things with our culture allowed it to be bought into really easily. Because if you just have something that's a culture piece that only your team knows but the community doesn't, there's limits to it. But when the entire community sees and understands the Be Better concept, it's easier for the kids to buy in. Uh, so whenever we, anytime we've had a news uh, crew come in and video practice or do an art, like they often talk about Be Better. So what I've learned that's done is encourage my kids of the future. They already know what Be Better is without me even saying it because they've been to our games and they've seen it. They saw it on the news. They've heard our other kids say it. That first year, we really had, had to reinforce verbally and get the buy-in. Every year since then, I've learned I've had to say that word less and less because everyone around me says it more and more. Yeah, I absolutely love it, man. I mean, that's that is the key. I, I, it takes a while, like you said, it takes a while to kind of get that identity correct kind of building. And now you have, you're building a tradition, right, Mike? No, exactly. And people don't understand it's, you know, the difference between success and failure is usually such a small moment. And, and our very first game ever at PH, whenever my first year coaching here, we were up 16 and a half. And then we lost that lead in the fourth quarter and we're down three with like two minutes or so to go. And I remember vividly calling a timeout, and it was a full timeout, and we didn't talk one thing about strategy or anything. We spoke on, okay, guys, we've spent all summer since we got together talking about be better. You know, what does that mean? What, 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 you know, we have to live this out right now. We just can't be all talk. We ended up winning that game. Had we lost that first game, maybe no one's even talking to me now. Maybe I've already been fired at PH because we never win a game. You know, it's just amazing <laughs> right. how, you know, you, you got to have a little bit of success at some point early and it doesn't have to be winning a championship. It could just be like that small thing and winning a game early on was for us just having a good practice. It was us just making 10 layups in a row in July without missing, you know, trying to celebrate that little success. But yeah, we're trying our hardest to make uh, our program at, at ph and two we expect to do really good things we are always going to push the envelope to keep on improving you know we lost this year in the final four um which is the farthest our uh, school has ever made it and it was a great year and i talked to the seniors and i talked to the team uh after the game you know everybody's upset and crying when we all have that moment Sure. But then I, dis I dismissed the seniors and let them go in the locker room and change. And then I kept all of the returners for this upcoming year. And I had my JV kids and even an eighth grader that I knew that was going to be on varsity this upcoming year. They were on the bench with us that game. 
I had them and I had a meeting with all of them. I said, I want you to feel this right here in this moment. I want you to just take a second and really feel this. We're going to work so that next year we are in this game and we win this game. And we're going to look back to this exact moment as this is when we decided we were going to win it next year. Um, and, you know, you talk about building a tradition. I think it's so important that we keep on challenging our girls to, you know, be better. Yeah, sometimes that yeah. I'm relating to you because I've been in that moment quite a few times in those state tournaments, man. Sometimes that hurt can really build that strength for next year, right, Mike? I mean, yeah, you almost got to go through it. You almost got to go through it, which you did, which I think will carry you guys a lot farther. Hey, talk about your philosophy and your process. Um, I love what you pointed out. You pointed out four different things of your process of your program. Talk about that. You have the great culture, the hardest hardest working team, defense rebound, execution on offense. Talk about that. Yeah, so, you know, be better is our, our overall general philosophy, but when we wanted to make it very detailed, especially within my coaching staff, but then also to the players, what does be better look like in a basketball sense, and what do we have to do uh, to reach our goals? And to understand the goals in our program are, number one, we want to develop better people. Uh, number two, we do want to win championships. And number three, we want the kids that aspire to play in college uh, to get those opportunities. And we believe that the number one thing is you must have a great culture. And we've been talking about that already. Mm -hmm. uh, the next thing is you got to be the hardest working team. I think the greatest compliment that you can receive as a coach is, wow, your kids play so gosh darn hard. You know, and that's something that we, whether we really know what we're doing or whether we don't or you know, whatever <laughs> it is, I want them to be out there just giving their all. And uh, that's something that we preach. And you. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hey coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning got to practice that way you can't practice halfway and then expect just to go out into the game and be great now you have to have really intense practices and really uh move the needle when no one's watching if you want to do great things when people are watching uh offense there's going to be years we can't shoot the ball there's going to be games we can't shoot the ball and to a point offensive skills sometimes that's genetic sometimes that's just kids don't have it but every kid i believe can defend a rebound. And the reason is because our coaching staff is going to put us in a defense that 
will allow us to be successful. And rebounding is 100% effort. You know, it's not necessarily about height. Now, I understand if you have a seven-footer out there over a 5'11 kid, they're both staying there. I understand, you know, uh, the math of that. But most often, especially in high school, rebounds go to someone who runs to go get it. Uh, so we try to preach that I don't care if you're 4'11 or what position you play, uh, you can rebound. And I don't care if you think you're fast, slow, understand uh, positioning or whatever, we can defend if you choose to. And the final thing is, you know, we're trying to build execution on offense. Uh, you know, can we screen a little bit better? Can we cut a little bit better? But it's more so, do you understand the game? Do you understand how to score in transition and when you should give the ball up and when you should keep it? Do you understand when we should push the ball or when we should try to score in the half court? Um, those little things make such a huge difference. And overall, what, what we found is, if we can have a really good culture and if we can work really, really hard every day, we're going to be able to be in a position to win most games. And then it will just come down to who has better talent or, you know, the luck of the draw some nights. But we try to really hang our hat uh, on that culture piece. And, and part of that culture isn't just being better, but, hey, we're going to make sure we outwork the competition. Yeah, and I, I love that because I'm a totally uh, – I'm a total believer and you got to set – your parameters and what your program is right from the beginning. I am not sure if every coach does that. So the coaches that are listening out there, make sure you kind of put down, what do you want to be good at? What do you want to emphasize? Right. Uh, It's easy, but you got, you got to really work on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, to piggyback off what you just said, you, you know, you can't be good at everything. You right. can't say, I want to be good at out-of-bounds plays, half-court <laughs> offense, transition offense. Like, none of us have the time. Right. You just don't. So you have to figure out what can we be good at that's going to give us the greatest margin to have success versus who we play. Um, but, you know, one thing I want to point out that I've learned because I had to really study culture and leadership for a long time to get my knowledge base built up to have a, a good understanding where I felt like I can teach it to others. And what I've learned is a lot of people think culture, whenever they look at these programs that win and well, they must have a great culture. They think culture is perfect. Everybody says, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Everybody cleans up everything. Everybody makes A's. Everybody uh, listens to the coach. Everything. Culture is not perfect. Every single program in the country at every single level has adversity within their locker room, on the court. They go through good times. They go through bad times. And culture is not being perfect. You can't expect that. Your measure for culture can't be everything is easy and there's no controversy because that's not realistic. The only ways you can measure culture are, are you, your staff, and your players prepared for any moment that comes up? And if you say yes, the next thing is, are you, your staff, and your players, when it's time to make an adjustment, can you pivot as a group and go a different direction? Because we all know, like, you know, great examples in the game, this isn't working, you got to make an adjustment. Can you do that, or are you not together enough to? And then if you say, yes, my group does that, the third and probably the most important is can you, your staff, and your players respond to either success or failure in a way that allows your program to grow. And if you can do those three things, 
that's what culture is. And the great thing and the negative thing about that, you never truly achieve great culture because I may have had a great culture yesterday. Our program may have had it yesterday. We got to fight for it today. It's an everyday thing. And I think that right there, the fact that you can never accomplish it for life is what keeps so many people from it because God, it takes so much effort to do it. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, of course, yeah, that I love that. I love the fight for your culture every day. It's a, the great, you know, I love TJ Rosine. That's what he says all the time. About, yeah. And uh, TJ is awesome. Matter of fact, um, but you're right, but you're going to find out, you mentioned a good point earlier. You're going to find out what kind of culture you have. Like right now, are your kids, mm-hmm. are they working on their game? Are they getting better? Right. Oh, exactly. Right. And right <laughs> now it's just another, uh, another time to fight for your culture. Exactly. You know, we're all on, we're all in the same boat. Well, how are you going to fight for your culture, uh, during this quarantine, during this stay at home. And, and my belief is the programs that have a really good culture are going to be able to get a lot of things out of their uh, team at this time. And I think those kids are going to be motivated to do things at this time. I think this is a real disadvantage for new coaches coming in and take over a program oh, yeah, next year. For sure. I mean, gosh, it's just, it's, you're, you're losing that time. Um, and then if you're someone that's, you know, for whatever reason, hasn't had great culture in the past this is going to be a really hard time to fix it i don't think you can create a culture right now no but i do think if you have one you can build upon it and i hope that makes sense it, it makes a lot of sense and so I, I, my last question was going to be and I, I was going to ask you a little bit later was you know what do you advise for somebody coming there's a lot of new coaches i see all these coaches mm-hmm. changes coming in starting in june i personally don't think we're going to be playing in June. I hope we do because I got a really good team coming back, but I don't see right. it happening. You're going to find out your culture, right? When, yeah, I mean, we're probably not going to be playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you know, my advice is, you know, if someone's coming in. Uh, the best thing you could probably do, and this was actually talked about on the Zoom meeting uh, from a, a good friend of mine, Jacob Gruce, who actually won a state title on the boys' side here at uh, 3A level in Virginia at Cave Spring. And he said, you know, communication is so important. You could really build a relationship with your kids right now. Uh, you know, I coach at an inner city school. Um, I have kids from all levels and backgrounds and walks of life. There's some kids right now that, have a great home and a great home life. And it's awesome for them to be at home. And there's some kids right now that actually don't want to be at home for a lot of different reasons. And you you never know what conversation or what interaction you're going to have with somebody that can make a difference. And maybe one of us that are taking over a new program, us just reaching out and and FaceTiming or texting or whatever your school district allows you to do with kids because everybody has different rules. uh, You know, maybe that could be something that just sparks a change in their life. Uh, So if you can't do basketball, if you can't get better on the floor, we all can build relationships during this time. That's, that's the best advice you can give you. You can still, even if you're a new coach, you can still get after, you can find the right people. You can, you can make connections. I absolutely love that. Hey, let's talk a little basketball. What do you do at Patrick Henry in your offensive system? I always ask every coach, man, what do you do? How do you teach it? Give me some some key drills. So how does Patrick King, Henry play offensive basketball? Uh, great question. And depending on the year, that answer changes. <laughs> sure. Uh, so, so uh, 
let's just talk. We play conceptually, all right? And, and we do that because our kids have to leave here understanding how to play. Otherwise, we're not doing one of our goals of getting people to play in college. Um, in, basically, we want to play with tempo. We want to play fast. Every year we've averaged over uh, at least over 60. I think two of the three years we've averaged over 65 points a game, which, you know, in a 32-minute girls basketball, that, that's a pretty good yeah, number it is. Uh, of points to average. So um, we really try to push tempo. This past year was probably the slowest tempo we played at. The reason for that is, is I had two kids that were back to the basket post players. Like, who's ever had those? I haven't seen two of those in a decade of coaching, and all of a sudden I got two on the same. That's old school, Mike. Um, you're going back. You're going back I, in the day, man. <laughs> I know, right? And it, and it and it was amazing because literally they could do an up and under. They can do a drop step. They like, you know, I have an assistant coach named Blue Cook who came on this year and worked with them every day, and he just completely changed their game. And so we would be doing a disservice if we ran all the time and never gave them a chance to get down and get set up. So we probably did the, you know, what, what do they call it now? The, the least smart or the dumbest playing basketball, throw it to a back of the basket post. <laughs> we did that all year, but you know what? Nobody knew how to guard it right. because no one else does it. So we got a lot of fouls, a lot of easy shots and changed our, uh, spacing. So, you know, for example, we want to play really, really fast. We would love to score, uh, before the defense gets set, Mike Neighbors is just an awesome innovator of, uh, you know, the offensive side of the ball. And if anybody's interested, if you go and research what the Arkansas Razorbacks are doing, and he did this at Washington as well, and the pace at which they play, right. and he's got names for all kinds of positions. Um, it's really fascinating. So we've took a lot of what Mike Neighbors has done and implemented it. And actually this year we're going to be going uh, full force into that. And we've uh, attached names to all of our people. We're going to have a, um, a pusher, a sprinter, um, shooters, a uh, grabber. A grabber is literally the person that grabs the ball and takes the ball out. Okay. Uh, and we're going to give them those spots, and we're going to say, let's go. And the idea is I got a shooter that's um, going to be a junior next year that this year I think she made 72 threes at 37% as a point guard. So we're going to move her to the two because of somebody we got coming up. And I think we can get her to uh, close to 100 makes in high school next year. Uh, or that's going to be our goal. And we're going to do that by pushing the ball so fast on a make or a miss um, that we're going to get her that shot. Mike, Mike um, and then if Coach, she, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah. Can you give me those spots again? Because I had a coach, Robert Cochran, who, do, who does the same thing uh, at Mike Neighbors and so forth. Uh, give me your give me your positions, guy. Pusher. So, okay, Winter. so the, the put yeah, yeah, the pusher is the point guard, pushes the ball down the floor, has to make things right. happen. The sprinter is the one who rim runs. Okay. That's a terminology, you know, sprinter's just easier for our girls to yeah, uh, I like it. Yeah. Uh, understand. We have spacers. We have two spacers. Those are the two people that go to the corners and transition. Their job is to get ready to shoot and obviously space the okay. floor. That's the term spacer. Uh and then we have the grabber, and the grabber is the person that gets the rebound or gets the uh, made shot and takes the ball out as quick as possible. So we have the, the pusher, the sprinter, the um, spacers, and we have the grabber. <clears throat> and that's what we're going to shift to offensively moving forward. And I think adding names to it 
and adding certain responsibilities is really going to allow us to even go faster than we have. In the and past. you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually you know, Robert Cochran, who was on my last, we were talking about that. And I said, I don't want to copy Robert's names because we were both talking about he has different names. Mm. He names it after they're the Lady Raiders. So he has different names for his. Oh. Um, right. But I think that's really important. It's almost like an identity set for your kids, right? I think it's even more powerful when you actually name it. It it is, and and the actual naming part is something that is going to be new for us this upcoming year. So we've played this way, but you know, part of you know the best time to make changes is when you're having a little bit sure. of success, yeah. right? We're trying to improve upon it. So these names and what I just told you is something that's going to be put into place for this year. And actually, our first film assignment for our quarantine basketball Google Classroom is I got Arkansas Razorback video and an explanation of all of those, and they're going to do that film study next week. So that'll be really uh, mm-hmm. interesting to see how quick they pick up on it and how all that goes. Because we've been playing that way. It's just we're adding the names to it. And, and how I got there, other than listening to Mike Neighbors talk and him just being phenomenal, is our defense has names to it. We run a really, really um, unique and special half-court matchup zone that we implemented this past mm-hmm. year. Um, and all of the positions have names and that's what, wow, this really helps. And we're like, well, what if we can do this on offense? So then whenever we sub somebody in, it's not just so much, well, you got Susie, go do this. It's, Hey, you got Susie, you're the pusher and you're the controller. So you have an offensive position, a defense position. It's all our dialogue that's special to our program. It adds another personable touch. Yeah, I want you to talk about that. I was going to have you uh, talk about your defense next. Um, and I think uh, where I got my names from was was Vance Wahlberg does a great job because uh, we oh, yeah. we basically we're 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 a pressing program and we match up. Uh, we don't have great athletes, so but we want to still be aggressive. So we don't play a lot of man to man, but we play with a lot of man to man concepts. Um, Talk to me about your defense. I really want to know how you guys run. I, I'm assuming it's more of a matchup. Yeah, so – and understand how we got to this point. Two years ago, we played full-court run and jump, Bob Huggins-style press Virginia, so to speak, <laughs> and then we went back man right. man We played every game that way, every sure. single game. This year, we did not play one single possession of man. Both both years we were successful, but we just completely changed. And some of the reasons were uh, we have a lot of length. You know, I was able on the back line of my zone to put six foot, six one, six one at a high school level. Uh, that's that's rare uh, for a lot of people. Um, so it was that. And then honestly, and, and I hate to say this, like I felt like I had some people that, uh, you know, uh, couldn't guard a park car. <laughs> If I told I them you. to go. Uh, so, <laughs> so it would just because we try to do everything not to win most games, but to beat the best people right. on our schedule. So what do we have to do well to beat the absolute best teams? Uh, and we felt that uh, maybe switching up our defensive tactics would do it. So I was very blessed last uh, year at the Final Four in Tampa, Vaughn Reed, who is the associate head coach for the women's program at Syracuse, and actually the author of Encyclopedia Basketball, he spent about five hours with me, uh, him and I just talking about Syracuse zone, okay? The men's, what they do on the women's side, I learned a lot. 
uh, Franklin Harris at Highland Springs, the same person that beat us uh, to end our season. Uh, he, they do his own. He shared with me their thoughts. I took that. I watched a lot of synergy film of teams that play zones, whether it be Auburn's one, two, two, you know, even John B lines, one, three, one from back in the day, just trying to learn. Uh, we came up with a, the best way to describe is like an amoeba shifting type matchup zone. Depending on what you do, it may look like a one, three, one. It may look like a two, three. It may look like a one, two, two. I've honestly had text messages this past year from coaches or friends like, man, that one, three, one you ran was awesome. And I promise you it's not a one, three, one. Or what in the world was that? And, you know, there's some coaches that, that, you know, have some good ideas on how to uh, challenge it or how to attack it. And there's some coaches that uh, and programs and players that really struggle with it. But it gave us a competitive advantage um, because it allowed us to put a rim protector where they need to be. It allowed us to put length at the certain spots on the floor. You know, I had a freshman this year that's right at six feet tall. If I had her playing man – she may not have learned positioning as fast as she does in right. the matchup. And, you know, some people that are those diehard man people will tell you, no, nah, you got, you know, man's the only way to play, man's the only way to play. You're not teaching basketball unless you're doing man. At the youth level, I 100% sure. agree. What I've learned at the higher levels of basketball, you know, and we're lucky to be, uh, you know, 5A, so we do play good high school level basketball mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, zone man is the same thing you end up being in the exact same position. It's the same concepts. So there's really not much difference in it. It's just a little bit term, uh, different terminology. So when I look back on film, the same spot that freshman had to be in to run our matchup is honestly the same spot she would have probably needed to be in if we had run man. So it was cool to see how me being a man coach and running this, you know, how those things kind of, combined together but we, we we created that zone and we adjust it every day and and we work on it every day and it was just a phenomenal thing uh to give us a competitive so advantage. tell me a little bit is it is it a one two one one is it a more of a matchup uh it's not like it's basically you're matching up with the alignment of the offense correct and with some basic principles yeah yeah so i mean there's five positions to it it's a controller a gapper a taker a reader and a middle. Okay. Those are the five positions and the middle's job. They're in the middle of the paint. Okay. Protecting the paint. If we, they ever need to go out into the corner because they overload and the taker reader gets caught, they do. They have certain rules. The taker, they're called that because they are the ball side wing that takes the first pass down free throw line extended. The reader is the opposite wing from ball side. They're called the reader because they have to read where the taker is, where the middle is, and if the middle has to go out to cover the corner, the reader may have to come cover the bucket. Or, And there's five or six different things the reader mm-hmm. could read. But the reader is that weak side mm-hmm. wing that has to adjust and be ready based on what everybody else does. The controller and the gapper are the guards that are up top, up front, and those are the two that really manipulate and change how the zone looks because uh, it is based on multiple things. It's based on what offense and what alignment the uh, opponent is in. 
It's based on the skill set of the players in our scouting report. Um, and it's based on, honestly, what we're trying to accomplish. Maybe we're trying to speed the tempo up. Maybe we're trying to pack it in and force them to shoot. A lot of different things we can do. Controller is controlling the ball, forcing it to where we want to go. The gapper is exactly that, finding the gap and trying to clog it up. Depending on how a team scores, for example, if they have a really talented 6-1 player that's going to flash to the high post, my gapper may be gapping into that high post a lot and forcing the ball to go elsewhere. If they have somebody that can't hit that free throw pull-up jumper to save their life or if they don't provide anybody to go to the high post, that gapper may stay out higher and go try to snatch or guard that guard-to-guard pass up top. So there's a lot of different things that as we got into teaching it, it was very basic initially. But then as we start seeing the different ways people try to attack, it was really fun to coach because we were able to make just a slight adjustment and cover things in a whole different way. And it just looked like a whole different defense. Yeah, that's, that's kind of funny you mentioned the other coaches. Uh, not sure what your defense is, but that means you got them. <laughs> I mean, you're an advantage. And uh, don't you think, Mike, that I felt like my, but when we played man-to-man, I felt like it was the offensive advantage because they can they can put you in whatever alignment they want. They can spread you out. They can go one four. They can they can go five out. And I felt like with a matchup zone, the offense does not have the advantage. We can dictate. One hundred percent. The you know the the ultimate goal for us is we want to make you uncomfortable on offense. So we have a half-court press. We, we didn't full-court press much this year. I think moving forward, we're going to get back to it. The previous years, like I said, we run and jump yeah. the whole time. I don't care. We're going to find a way our coaching staff, because I think this is what coaches are supposed to do. We're going to look at the team we have and how we have to guard and how we have to score. Then we're going to put our kids in the absolute best position, we think, to give ourselves an advantage. And – defensively we just want to make you uncomfortable mm-hmm. and the thing that i found is running that matchup the game didn't slow down as much as you would think because people would still shoot it pretty quickly they wouldn't really take the time and utilize the fact that there's mm-hmm. no shot clock they don't really at the high school level not enough people i think there's not enough decision makers with high iq on the floor at a time to do that on a on a given basis on a, or on a, on a nightly basis so um, we were able in some games, especially in the playoffs, where teams are really good and teams had really good guards, we stopped pressing, just ran our matchup, and the game was still in the 60s. Right, right. Um, yeah, you can still create tempo in the half court, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, no question. You, you know, there, there's ways yeah. to jump trap it. There's just, you know – uh, and, and the cool thing I found is if you play fast on offense, you can you can speed the opponent's offense up too. It's like they try right. to mirror it without even intentionally doing it. Um, and honestly, sometimes we fell into that trap. Sometimes teams will play so slow that all of a sudden we're walk, walking the ball up the floor. Like guys, no, we got we got to do what we right. do. The battle of tempos, right? Isn't that the, it's, that's all of our our battles and so forth? And you find out. The coaches I have spoken with, and you probably listened to quite a few of them, the, the ones that have lost 
they did not establish their tempo. So that's always the key, right, Mike? You better make sure you're doing what you do better than them. Oh, no question. What You know, I have yet to. It's probably, you know, if I was a coach in the NBA, I would maybe say, yeah, we've lost some games because of X's and O's or one play this, one play that. Uh, at the college level, the high school level, I feel you win and lose games based off of transition from end to end and how do players make decisions when plays break down. Like most of what happens in high school games, I feel, are, okay, you run a little offense, a shot goes up, they get a rebound, well, then what happens? Or you get a leak out. Uh, in transition is three on two. Do you make the right pass or the right person get the right shot? Those are things that you don't necessarily have a play for. Uh, those are the things that your kids have to be good at. How can your kids perform when you're not out there just calling a play and making them robotic? Yeah, it's so true. Um, <laughs> and you can, you can design, I know with, with us, you can design whatever you want, but it's always how you score in the breakdown moments, right? Right, coach? Oh, yeah, yeah, no question. And it's literally as simple to, you know, I was asked earlier this week, you know, what's some of your favorite sets to, to run whenever you get in trouble or, or you need a, a bucket? And, you know, I kind of felt like a bad coach because I didn't necessarily yeah. have a set play I did. I said, I don't really know that I have a play. That I hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. Hello, my name is Rory Hamilton. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. If you're looking for top-notch basketball coaching instruction and help, look no further than the Championship Vision podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. You can listen about our five keys to success at Norman North Girls Basketball, along with many other podcasts at championshipvision.org or listen on Spotify at Championship Vision. Happy hooping. I like because it changes so much. All I know is I want to get my best players the basketball with space to do what they do. And depending on what my kid is, that's what I want. If I have a shooter, how can I give them space to do it? A lot of the reasons we run isn't just to get fast break points. It's are you going to find my shooter? If you don't, I'm going to get a lot of one pass catch and shoot in rhythm threes for her. And that's really hard to stop her from getting those shots and then stop another guard from going to the rim, then stop another person running to the rim as a sprinter. Like you start adding those things. And if you do it well and you do it fast, you're always going to be able to find a way to exploit the defense. Yeah, it's, that's so true. And I, and I really appreciate your insight into your, into your program right there, Mike. I sure appreciate it. Talk about your practice system. I, I know you, I know you're a busy guy right now and, but give me some information on how you design your practice at uh, PH. Um, you know, for a long time, I was one of those people, especially when we get right before the start of the season, October, I'm like sitting there trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, you got to shoot 30 minutes a day. You got to work on offense for, and try to break it down. Right. So you had some type of system. And what I've learned is that pretty much ends up being a bunch of crap <laughs> for me because I don't end up staying on track or yeah. doesn't end up working. I think a big thing that, that is, is important with practice planning is what does your team need for that day? Does it need to be light? Does it need to be hard? There's been days where I've went in and I never yelled and I was just very quiet in practice. 
there's been days where I've went in and I've intentionally tried to find a reason to get pissed. Right. Just trying to, just to make a point with, with something like that. Um, but we try to design our practices on, uh, we want to compete. It's got to be extremely physical and we have to do all of our conditioning in the way that we play. Um, all of our, we don't necessarily, you know, I hate the word drills because I think sometimes we can do all these fancy drills, but drills do not translate to games all the time. We try to really focus on, okay, these are, these are the type of shots that we get in a game. So let's make sure that we're shooting, doing our shooting drills that mimic that. Outside of shooting, which can be block practice, everything else needs to have live defenders. Everything else has to have a decision-making component. That way we really utilize our time because we're not just working offense or defense or conditioning. We're working all three. We're not just working rebounding or defensive stance. We're working both while at the same time working on scoring on offense, while at the same time working on passing. And, you know, when I look back, evaluate, you know, I'm really – our coaching staff tries to be really hard on ourselves. Do we have a good practice today? I constantly ask my coaches, how did that go? How did that go? And my hope is, is every day we leave practice feeling like we played the game of basketball. We didn't drill the game of basketball. Yeah, I, I love that. I was picking up some of your key points. I, I love the fact with the live defenders because I think it's it appears sometimes we get drill happy, right, Mike? Um, and but yeah. you have to make practice somewhat ugly, and you have to teach multiple concepts. Um, we all want to have you know just work on offensive moves, you know maybe against cones and so forth. But man, you get so you get double the you get double the work if you have one on one live. Super right? You know what I'm saying? Oh, so I think you, I think you're exactly, I, I totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's, you know, practice planning is trial and error. You know, you got to figure out what works for your kids. You know, there's, there's some really cool ways to do scoring, uh, to score drills that can incentivize your kids. I'll give you one example. Late in the year, we wanted to do a better job throwing it to that back to the basket post right. player I had, right? So we could do a drill that just has the guards or whoever throw into the post and the post score. We can do it that way. Um, but I didn't feel like we were maximizing. So what we did is we created a point system where we added a defender. If a defender gets a deflection, that's one point. If the offense makes a good pass and they score on it inside, that's a point for that offensive uh, guard that threw it. If the post player decides I can't get a clean shot and they skip it, and that person knocks down a shot, that's a point for the assist. So we really try to take the, you know, the concepts of, hey, you got to make good passes. You got to know when to uh, score it, when to pass it out on the skip as a post player and knocking down shots. And we took that and made it competitive because not only did we score that, but we gave points for the defense trying to anticipate and, uh, excuse me, anticipate and get deflections. So, we try to be as creative as possible with the same time, like, you know, keep it as simple as possible. <laughs> exactly. Right. And you want to, and that's the key to a lot of work, right? You want to have, how do you run your transition in your practice on that? Because I, I know I see a lot of practices where things are really slow, slow water breaks, this and that. I'm a believer that boom, we, we got to move it quick 
from one spot. That's a big part of the conditioning, conditioning the mind, right, to play games. Yeah, no, no question. Like, you know, we've stolen from a lot of different coaches. I wish I could give them credit for, but, you know, there's been times most practices we start the day, we have them stretch on their own. And then most practices we start with something uh, that I call circle transition, which is where I put two teams, uh, put them against each other. They stand in a circle underneath one bucket, you know, white team, red team, white team, red team, mm-hmm. five versus five. They just move around in a circle, okay, like they're playing uh, – sure. uh, was it musical chairs? And eventually I just hand the ball to a red or a white, and they go, and they take off five on five. And we're going up and down, up and down until we get a clean bucket. Um, it just adds a little bit of difference. There's also another drill we did that um, we can do it as a three-on-two drill or as a five-on-five drill where we throw the ball off the backboard, you get a rebound. We immediately trap the rebounder, and we are playing transition from that trap. Uh, and it's amazing doing those things. Uh, you know, obviously conditioning because you're getting up and down the floor, but you're teaching decision-making you're teaching aggressiveness for your defense on the traps and getting after it. Um, and we try to start the day with something like that. Yeah, to me, that all, all your great coaches, man, are all, all you guys are all saying the same thing. Get practice. I, I think we're all kind of used to, you know, coming in practice, slowly progressing. The, I don't see that anymore. I see coaches coming in, boom, right from the beginning. They're going into 11-man drill. Three, like you said, your transition drills. Why is that important to you guys? Uh, because the attention span of the people that we coach now is so different <laughs> than what it used to be. We live in such a microwave. Like, think about a TikTok, for example. TikToks are five-second videos. Why is that so great? Because it's so much fun, more fun to watch a five-second video than a 30-minute 30 yeah. uh, sitcom. Why do you want to sit through the sitcom whenever you can just scroll through a 1,000 TikTok videos in the same amount of time? Uh, so your practice has to be like a TikTok, five seconds, which is five minutes in, in practice time, quick, do something. Then you need to go to the next TikTok video for five minutes, a short amount of time. And you need to just go through a TikTok, a TikTok, a TikTok, and then get in and out in a short amount of time. The kids will love it. Only go an hour and 15, only go an hour and a half. We, I don't think you have to go two hours or three hours anymore to be effective. Yeah, I, I I love that. I love that comparison to a TikTok video. I'm going to definitely use that because it is so true. Um, but you have to teach according to your clientele. I mean, it sounds obvious, but you have to. No, exactly. Yeah, and a lot of times, and I'm not saying that to down the you know the, our, our our players or say that they're uh, inferior to previous generations. They're not. It's just different. Right. It's just different. And, you know, you have to understand as a coach that – and this goes back to the culture thing too, as I was saying earlier, things aren't always perfect. Well, a lot of times coaches aspire to the college coaches and what they're doing. Well, Coach K, for example, at Duke, he has 19 to 24-year-olds <laughs> in his program. They're a whole other level of maturity than our 14 to 18-year-olds. Our 14 to 18-year-olds are going to make some different mistakes – than a college kid does. It's, it's just because of age. It's just a fact of nature. So we can't, we got to understand with our culture that kids are not perfect. Kids are going to do uh, dumb things at times. And it's not always, hey, 
you didn't have a great practice or you did something dumb, get out of my program. Now, there's times when you got to do that, but you got to be willing to give kids second, third chances. We had had multiple players in our time at PH that didn't always get along with me and didn't always play or threaten to quit or threaten to – and we worked through that. And they end up having great, great careers for us because you can't hold a 15-year-old to the fire for one decision they make when they're 15. Give them a second chance. Give them a third chance. Yeah, and you're teaching them some valuable lessons how to overcome things, right? That's that, that mental toughness that I know you guys teach over there. Uh, Mike, my, my last question is um, I, I actually I, – there's, there's quite a few more things I would like to ask you, but I, I know – I just want to focus on one thing. You really talk about leadership training in your system. Give me some examples on how you really develop leaders in your program to kind of help me and help our other coaches out there. You know, this is the area that, you know, I have to improve upon too. I haven't got it figured out. Um, You know, I, I need to learn from people as well, but uh, it's something that I've been wanting to do since I took over at PH, but, other things took priority, right? Just the culture as a whole, just getting skills. This past season is the first time I felt like, hey, I can really give a focused effort to CHIS leadership. So what we did is we identified uh, some leaders within our program. We took the four seniors and then we took three underclassmen that we predict to be future leaders. And that was seven people. And we created a leadership training that lasted six weeks in late September to October leading up to the season. And I used that using a Google Classroom again. And what we did is we had six weeks. And I would video myself having a little talk. The very first week was focused on self-discipline. And it kind of was, you cannot lead others if you cannot lead yourself. So we would give them a video and I would give them something to think about. And like, for example, I gave them a 12-minute self-discipline video of, you know, me talking and sharing it. So that way they can watch it whenever they want to. Then I gave them the assignment of, all right, we're going to meet next Wednesday after practice for 10 minutes. Very, very short time. Can you bring me one thing you can do to improve your self-discipline in an area? Kids come back, some of them say, I'm going to work on cleaning my room daily a little bit better. I'm going to work on getting better grades in this class. Just one finite thing. And if you can improve your self-discipline in that area, you can improve your self-discipline in other areas. Now, I didn't do as good of a job with that as I wanted to because I could have done a much better of checking back in and checking back in and holding them accountable to cleaning that room. You know, I think after like three or four weeks, we kind of just forgot about it and moved on with life. And that was a mistake on my part. Uh, But the concept I really liked. And we did that for six weeks. I actually brought in... Uh, a guest speaker. I brought in a female who um, was a teacher and then created her own school. And she's now the principal of her own school. And she came and talked to the kids about uh, leadership and about how to be a female uh, in a leadership position. And we really tried to, I think I don't have all the answers, but I think the key with the leadership is it's got to be intentional training. A lot of times we just think we're teaching leadership through sports. You're not teaching something that you don't intentionally emphasize. So we're going to really focus on how do we emphasize being a leader. 
and that's something I have to improve on. Uh, as yeah, I love, I, I love the insight into that because I'm going to add, um, I love how you make it more of a classroom type setting. Um, now, we have a leadership committee, Mike, um, and this year it's it's all three seniors. But I, I do like the start building the leaders of the future as well. So I really like how you did that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to be an organized, intentional curriculum. Right. I mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. And, and uh, you know, something that I've learned is just, you know, the psychology of people. I think sometimes giving sports in a somewhat of a classroom setting, and I don't mean like PowerPoints and sitting at a desk and taking notes and doing tests, but I just mean right. in like a classroom delivery, like a Google classroom. The kids are so used to that because they've been trained since kindergarten to be in a classroom. So you're delivering information in a way that the kids can grasp and are already used to. Sometimes the problem with watching film is the kids can't learn that way because they've never had to watch film to learn anything like that in their life. So it takes a lot of effort for kids to really understand how to watch film. When you give something like leadership or maybe even your defensive or offensive principles, whatever you want to be, and if you can tie it into the classroom setting, I think you can get – results a little bit faster it makes a lot of sense yeah of course now hey we're all experts in google classroom now man because that's all we're doing all my pe classes i mean that's all we're doing now but um yeah and i think the kids feel comfortable in that environment um mike man i I sure appreciate everything you Mm -hmm. uh you gave to us man you gave to me and gave to the coaches thanks again man i think you're a rising star man in coaching you're doing a great job you're giving back to a lot of coaches i really appreciate what you're doing and and thanks for coming on. Hey, how can we get a hold of uh, Mike Hedrick? Uh, well, first of all, Kevin, what you're doing is amazing. I, I love and, you know, I actually told my assistant and my fiance, uh, you know, look at the people that he's talking to on here. Why in the world does he <laughs> want to talk to me? Uh, it doesn't make any sense why I get to be in this category, but you're just doing a phenomenal job putting this out here as a platform for people and, and to learn and share and grow and, and, and thank you for what you're doing. But guys, the best way to get a hold of me, um, if you Google Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, Mike Hedrick, PHWBB, you'll find me on any of those platforms. My email address is coachmikehedrick at gmail.com. And I have no problem with you calling me or sending me a text because my phone number is 828 291 7118. I'd love to uh, share the game. And if anybody wants to get in on our future Zoom calls and like we did with the uh, uh, COVID-19 in the high school uh, running of a program. Yeah, Mike, thanks again, man. I would love actually to get your your, uh, presentation of what you're doing with your COVID-19 program and so forth. So um, I would love that. I'll send you a text and so forth. But thanks again, man, for sharing, man. I really appreciate everything you're doing for the game and uh, thanks for giving up your time. No, I, again, I appreciate you and uh, don't anybody get confused and I'm very smart or know, uh, know everything there is. I've been very lucky to have great mentors and great friends. And uh, like everybody I've stolen from others and just made it into what fits us. And, and if there's any way, thanks help again, man, have same, a great I'd day, man. To. Stay healthy out there. All right. Take care, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, sir. 
Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.